The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Border Patrol agents enjoy great pay, outstanding federal benefits, and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. If you are looking for a way to serve something greater than yourself, consider the U.S. Border Patrol. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. That's cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. Uh, we're recording this as the Orioles really get down to their final games of the season. Uh, this is on Wednesday night, right before the they host the Atlanta Braves in their series finale. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about some players that haven't debuted yet. A lot of our shows recently have been focusing on guys like Ryan Mountcastle, Keegan Aiken, Dean Kramer, the prospects that have come up and made a big impact in 2020. What we're going to focus on for this show is some of the ones that we expected that we might see this year that we haven't. In a few cases, maybe we do see these players with a little bit of time is left, but a handful, either because of injury or other reasons, are definitely not going to debut this year. So we're going to get into them a little bit. We're also going to focus on our expectations uh, for the Orioles over their final games of the season and then discuss uh, Dean Kramer and Keegan Aiken a little bit more at the end of the show. Um, But first into our first topic, uh, this is really a focus on players that we haven't had a chance to discuss in depth, probably going back to when the season was first starting to get underway in July or in some cases maybe even back to the original spring training in February and March. Um, So we're going to focus on prospects that have not reached uh, the majors this year and might not with a little bit of time that is left this season. And then also some players who technically aren't prospects, but are still younger guys that coming into this year seem like they could have a role with the team. So we're going to get into that a little bit. Um, I'm going to start with Bob because Bob has uh, a list of uh, three players that he put together that are very much worthy of discussion in two pitchers and a utility player that were pretty high on. So go ahead, Bob. Yeah, the first guy I wanted to bring up was a guy who actually just, there was a report, I think, from Dan Connolly this past week about him being shut down for the season with some elbow issues. But it doesn't sound like it's anything serious, luckily. But it's Michael Bauman, the hard-throwing right-hander, who 
dominated Frederick last year and then moved up to Bowie and pitched even better, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, obviously, he was a decent guy, probably in the lower ha- uh, lower half to third of the top 30 coming into last year, but he really raised his stock maybe more than anyone in the Orioles system with his performance and his improved stuff. To me, he's like a, a low – his floor is almost like – a late inning reliever obviously you could always wash out completely but to me that seems like the lowest he could do but if he continues to climb the way he has then I think he could be a mid-rotation starter gets up near 100 miles an hour with this fastball and threw a no-hitter last year so he he's got the stamina in his arm but just wanted to get your thoughts on when you think we might see him and if he recovers fully from this injury yeah that was Definitely scary when you see uh, a guy like Bauman getting shut down for the rest of the year, which I know is like two weeks at this point. But it was someone who probably, in, if 2020 was a normal year, I think we probably would have seen Bauman by now up in the major leagues just because he started last year in Frederick, pitched pretty decently. And then, like you said, once he moved to Bowie, he kind of exploded and pitched extremely well with the Bay Sox. Um, I think he was a guy entering last year. There were a lot of questions about starter relievers. Should the Orioles maybe go ahead and move him to the bullpen and maybe fast track him to the majors with that powerful fastball? But I think he answered a lot of those questions last year. He he can hold that that velocity into the ninth inning. He did in that no hitter that he pitched, which was a fantastic game. I think I've watched that game like three times to be totally honest. Um, Eric Longenhagen of Fangraphs thinks there's a chance he could be a potential top 100 prospect guy. Uh, he wrote about before the season started, a guy that now has four pitches, and so he's not just going to be a two-pitch reliever. This guy can really be a four-pitch uh, major league starter now. Um, things I like uh, really like about Bauman, the drop in his walk rate when he reached double-A uh, was pretty awesome to see. Um, I think for service-timed reasons, he's not going to start the year in the pros next year. Uh, he's going to start that year in Norfolk next year. The Norfolk Tides pitching staff might be one of the best uh, in Definitely the best in AAA next year, for sure. That's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, but, you know, I like that Michael Elias isn't one to skip AAA with his guys. He wants these prospects to go in and dominate each level. And so for that reason, I think we definitely see Bauman begin the year in AAA. Uh, but I don't see any reason why at the end of the year he's not in that starting rotation for the Orioles uh, showing us his stuff. Yeah, I agree with Nick. I think that as long as he is healthy, and so far all reports that we've seen, Bobby mentioned Dan Connolly's piece, have been that he should be okay, that this shouldn't be a long-term concern. Um, it is still scary when the elbow comes into play, but we're hoping for the best right now at Bauman. Uh, I suspect that he's going to have some time at AAA, like Nick said. I think Michael Elias wants to send his uh, top pitching prospects there, and really his top prospects across the board. and. One reason that I think it's beneficial is because last year, the Eastern League, where Ballman did so well in the second half, definitely skewed uh, towards pitchers. Whereas in 2019, the International League was more hitter-friendly than it traditionally is. And if that trend is present in 2021, it's going to give you a good sense of how Ballman does going up against older hitters in an environment that's generally more friendly to hitters. So I think that you do see Ballman... Maybe it's towards the little bit closer to the all-star break in the earliest case scenario, because I think you do want him to get quality time down in AAA to make sure he's healthy and make sure he's adjusting to older hitters. But I really suspect that he'll be in the major leagues next year. Yeah, I definitely think he'll make his 
first major league start sometime next year, probably around June or so. I was just curious if if he didn't get hurt and if the Orioles didn't get swept by the Yankees in the most demoralizing way possible, that maybe he could have came up in the last couple of weeks of the season if we were still in the corner of contention of just a pitch out of the bullpen. But obviously that's not the case now. But I do think as long as – God, it's, at least it's not his shoulder. You know, elbow's a little bit easier to recover from than a shoulder injury. But if uh, he recovers, we'll see him next year. The next guy I wanted to talk about was a was a relief pitcher in Isaac Matson, who we got in the Angels trade when Ace Dylan Bundy went to the Angels this offseason. Um, I just think you see guys coming out of our bullpen. Our bullpen has been good all year, but there's still a couple of places where you could see improvement and give a young guy like Matson a chance. Who he has a chance to be a, a pretty decent reliever. You have guys like Asher Johowski who has just moved to the bullpen. It's not really cutting it out there. I thought he might do a lot better, <laughs> only having to face the order one time, but not to be, at least in limited action so far. And a guy like Tom Eshelman, who, yeah, he can start for you in a pinch, but he's really not a major leaguer, in my opinion. Uh, I'd like to see Isaac Matson get a chance. If it's not the end of this year, then maybe earn a, a job out of spring training in 2021. Yeah, I honestly thought we were going to see Matson by now, and maybe the strength of the Orioles' bullpen has been a reason why we have not seen him. Because I really thought at some point, you know, maybe even as early as early to mid-August, they were going to need help somewhere in their bullpen, and Matson would be that guy who could come up and pitch an inning at a time. Uh, his strikeout numbers have been very good throughout the minor leagues. That includes uh, a stint he had in AAA Salt Lake for the Angels in 2019. So he's already had success at the highest level of the minors. Um, I would suspect that Matson, if the Orioles need bullpen help going into camp next year, that they give him an extended look, even if he does not log major league time this year. If he does end up in AAA, then I have to think he's one of the first bullpen arms to come up. Yeah, definitely. He he seems, like you said, he already had success at AAA. It, it was only 9.1 innings, I noted, but it was in the Pacific Coast League, and he didn't give up a single home run. So right there, you get an A-plus from me if you can last almost 10 innings without giving a home run in a PCL. Uh, I, I look, really like all four of these guys that we got back from the Angels, and you know, I, I know it's not really exciting for, to a lot of people, but for you know, guys like us who who really enjoy, we can find joy in going out to Frederick and watching a relief pitcher like Isaac Matson or Kyle Bernovich, another guy that was brought back in that trade. Like, that's exciting for me uh, to find out if these guys can work or not. And Matson is someone, when you look at the, the high strikeout totals, um, when you read the scouting reports on him, how the fastball can live up in the zone, uh, that's a high spin rate guy. That's a, a you know, buzzword you hear a lot with Michael Elias guys and pitchers he brings in. Um, yeah, this is definitely something I thought we'd see this year at some point uh, when he got added to the player pool. Uh, but I don't see why he can't break camp with the team next year if he has really good spring training. Yeah, he's not a guy you're trying to play service games with. He's a reliever who's already in his early to mid-20s. So, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, my last guy that I was going to bring up is Rylan Bannon, the second base slash third base who base men who had a under-the-radar offensive season last year at Bowie with the depressed offensive environment there. I think his WRC plus was actually above average, but then he eventually moved up to AAA and just crushed the ball for the last few weeks of the season. Didn't do so well in the Arizona Fall League, but 
he's a guy to me who could be like uh maybe a Pat Vileka type of offense with better defense. Uh Vileka shouldn't be at shortstop, so just cut that out of the out of the equation. But I think uh Bannon has a chance to play a decent second base, maybe third base. He could be a role player on a really solid winning team. Don't know if he'll be good enough to like be a frontline starter on a contending team, but he should definitely have a role. He can rotate between second, third, DH. Anyone can play first base if you need him to. Uh, yeah, just a nice player to have in the system as depth at AAA. Yeah, it's someone that I, I like when other I see other people online get excited about Ryland Bannon because I've mentioned before I wasn't a big fan of him when we first got him, but he's really grown on me a lot. I love him. Um, I you get mixed reviews on him at third base, and and I know I've made comments. I can't remember who I was talking to. This was a couple of years ago, but at this point, but um, yeah, I made comments about his defense at third base, and I wasn't really a fan of it. And, and then you know I've had other people tell me that they're really high on his defense at third base. Um, he kind of worries me a little bit over there in the hot corner. I really like him at second base, but either way, I think he's better at third base than Rio Ruiz at this point. I wouldn't mind seeing the team go ahead and move on from Ruiz and maybe do like a Bannon and Alberto uh, situation. Let them play man second base and third base next year. I think Bannon probably begins the year in AAA just because he only had a handful of games. But like you said, the, it was a 120 WRC plus in AA last year, which is well above league average. He's not going to be a big home run guy, but he still had 32 doubles and four triples last year. He's going to be a gap-to-gap hitter. Um, I think he fills multiple roles. I always wonder if he could play the outfield, too, in a pinch if you need him to to add to that flexibility. Um, Yeah, he's someone that I'm really excited to see next year. I think when you look around the infield at Norfolk next year, it's when you've probably got a Tyler Nevin, Mason McCoy, maybe a Richie Martin. We can talk about him later on. Uh, And Ryland Bain on the infield. At least we're looking at quality depth pieces here at this point instead of some of the depth pieces we've had down in Norfolk. But Taron Vavra too. Yep. Yep. True. Yeah, I, I like Bannon a lot and I he was a player that I think in had we had a normal minor league season and a normal major league season would be up by now because I think it would have given the Orioles more time to decide one, do they want to continue going for Rio Ruiz at third base? And if they don't, is Bannon an answer there? or they just need another bat off the bench over the last few weeks of the season. And Bannon, because he can move around, and because you figure he's part of your plans for 2021 anyways, you go ahead and bring him up. The one thing I'm curious to see if they try to do um, going into next year is add to his versatility a little bit. Like Nick said, try him out in the outfield a little bit. Do we see him go to shortstop? I'm not convinced that could work. But if the Orioles would want to experiment with it, I wouldn't blame them just to see what he can do. My suspicion, though, is that he'll start out at Norfolk. Um, We may see a little bit more home run power there if he's in a better offensive environment. But I think he primarily profiles as a doubles hitter um, and someone who could help the Orioles out at second base or third base should they need it next year. And then even if it's not in a full-time role, bring him up as a part-time player, have him play multiple positions. I think he has some value offensively. And I still think he's going to be the nice under-the-radar return in the Manny Machado trade. Yeah, we, I think we're going to look back in a few years and think, oh, the Orioles got, as part of that deal, a guy that helped them out in a lot of different ways. Even if he was not an all-star caliber player year in and year out, you still had a, a player in Bannon who can do a lot. Yeah, that's a good point. I think that trade could end up looking 
pretty good for the Orioles in the long run for only a half season or two months of Machado to get a potential middle of the rotation starter in Kramer, a potential starting right fielder in Diaz, and then a nice role player in Bannon. Yeah, I was going to say, make a note here. If you look on his baseball savant page, it actually said, and I'm assuming these scouting reports they have were written before the season started, and they made a note about him working out at shortstop this year, uh, So, which obviously he didn't get to do, but maybe he's doing that in Bowie. Uh, I don't know. I'd love to know. Uh, if anyone has any inside connections at what's going on in Bowie, let us know. Uh, that'd be awesome to see, though. Yeah, he adds to that versatility, and he's a small guy. But there's some power in that bat, and if he can come up and make an impact at the major league level, you know, th- as much as I love Manny Machado, you know, and that whole situation was a disaster, the way the Royals handled it, I do agree that that trade, we can get some real value out of that deal. Yeah, completely agree. So we're going to move uh, up our list now. Nick has a uh, trio of left-handed pitchers that we've given a lot of uh, coverage to in previous shows but haven't discussed in a while. All three profiles pretty close to being major league ready, and in fact, one of them might be here by the time you listen to the show. Yeah, I guess we'll start with him. Um, I think all three of these guys, talking about Alexander Wells, Bruce Zimmerman, Zach Lauter, um, all three of these guys, we've kind of ranked, kind of lumped them together in prospect rankings. Uh, and now that we've seen Keegan Aiken pitch, I just think about, I think we have a a slightly more clear picture about what to expect from these three guys, maybe. Um, with Zimmerman, yeah, there's the rumors going around. Joe Trezza, MLB.com, was throwing out a rumor right before we came on the air about his sources are telling him that Zimmerman may be the guy. Uh, if you're listening to this on Thursday, the Orioles have a doubleheader against the Rays. Kramer's pitching one of the games, and we don't know who's pitching the second game. Uh, it could be Zimmerman. Brandon Hyde said there's a possibility that someone else makes their MLB debut this year. Um, if this is that guy, you know, he's he did test positive for COVID-19, which delayed his arrival into the player pool, uh, which I think shocked us all because we were wondering where he was. Um, we did get to see him in spring training. You saw the velocity increase. I think he was hitting, what, 95, 96 miles an hour in spring training. Um, he looked really good. Uh, lots of strikeouts. He's someone who I think when you watch him pitch, you can see him. I was actually shocked he didn't slide into that fifth spot in the rotation coming out of camp. Um, I kind of view him more, though, as a sink or swim guy in the rotation. Uh, there's some other pieces that I like better coming out of the bullpen, maybe. Uh, but it's with Zimmerman, it's can he outperform Jorge Lopez? Is he better than Cole Stewart uh, for that fifth spot next year? Uh, based on what we saw in spring training, maybe that's the case. If he's drinking the Kool-Aid down in Bowie, then obviously he's going to come out and throw a shutout against Tampa Bay tomorrow, uh, if that's the case. But yeah, I'm excited to watch Zimmerman pitch. I know a lot of other people are. Um, you can throw 95, 96 miles an hour from the left side. You got something cooking there. Yeah, I think I predicted in the spring that he was going to be this year's John Means all the way back when uh, we thought we were going to have a normal baseball season. Like, he would be a guy that barely made the team, you know, impressed in the bullpen and eventually earned his way into the rotation. Obviously, none of that happened, but I am still high on this guy. He impressed everybody in the spring with his velocity increase, like you said, and just his pitch ability. He had a pretty strong year in the minors last year, and it seems like you know, he's a local guy who is seems like a hard worker, recovered well from COVID-19, apparently. Um, yeah, I think he's he's a guy that, yeah, he might be a fourth or fifth starter, but it's a good story. You got to give him a chance. He uh, 
I'd love to see him pitch tomorrow, to be honest with you. Yeah, right now we're not entirely clear if he is going to pitch tomorrow, but um, if he does, it will definitely be an outing that I will be looking forward to. Um, just not just because of his talent. As Bob mentioned, he's a local guy uh, from Ellicott City, so it kind of adds a nice story uh, to his debut, if that indeed is coming. But regardless of that, I definitely see him as someone that's going to help this club next year. Uh, the question is going to be whether that comes out of the rotation. If the Orioles either go with him as their number five starter out of camp, which I have to think he's in the contention to do, or that if they bring him out of the bullpen. One way or another, I think we see Zimmerman at some point next year. Yeah, I mean, 2021 is going to be another one of those years where you know, this team is probably going to surprise us, uh, but you're still going to need a lot of pitchers. And Zimmerman's definitely a guy that he's he's kind of like Keegan Aiken. At this point, I don't really know how much more development there is, and it's time for him to get up to the majors and see what he can do. Uh, but if we look a little bit lower in the minor leagues, guys that aren't def- definitely not going to pitch this year in the major league level, but guys we may or may not see next year, um, I'm interested in y'all's thoughts on Alexander Wells. Um, elite command plus secondaries. He doesn't have the fastball velocity. It's an upper 80s fastball. We all know that. Uh, he's someone who's really going to have to surgically work his way through a lineup uh, multiple times to, to earn that rotation spot. I question whether he can be a major league starter or not. Uh, if he can work through that lineup two or three times every five days, he doesn't have the swing and miss stuff. You don't see a lot of strikeouts with him. Uh, but if you put a good defense behind him, uh, maybe that helps him out a little bit. But what I really liked about Alex Wells is he really struggled in Frederick, and that was the first chance that I got to watch him pitch, and I was super excited to pitch. I remember taking my wife, and it was her first trip to Frederick, and saying that you're going to like this Alex Wells guy. He's a lefty. He's Australian. He's awesome. He doesn't lock anybody. And I think they played Winston-Salem, and like Luis Robert was in the lineup. And I want to say Madrigal might have been there too. It was not a pretty outing at all, um, unfortunately. But um, he rebounded well when he pitched in Bowie last year. The You saw the walk rate jump from 1.8% to 5.8% in Frederick. Uh, and the strikeouts dropped. But when he went to double-A, you saw the walk rate go back down. You saw the sub-3.0 ERA across uh, 20-something starts. He had a third straight season of 100-plus strikeouts. Um, I think he's a bit riskier than Aiken, but I'm interested to hear what you guys think about what the future holds for Alex Wells there. Yeah, definitely riskier than Aiken, but his command has been so good, and the fact that he was able to actually improve on it from high-A to double-A really impresses me. I almost think the ceiling with him might be a guy who was just with the Orioles until being traded recently, and that's Tommy Malone. Now, Malone has had some success in the major leagues. Um, part of that early in his career was probably pitching at Oakland Coliseum, which is not a benefit that Wells is going to have or we don't expect he's going to have. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit tougher for him coming into Camden Yards. Like Nick said, I do think he's going to have to really figure out if he's going to have to work off a fastball in the upper 80s that are on its best days, maybe in the low 90s how he's going to get through a lineup three times. He's got the durability to do it, but if the mix of pitches does not allow him to do that, then I still think he has value as a reliever. Um, next year, I expect that we see him in Baltimore at some point. He probably starts back at AAA just to get a little bit more seasoning in. Maybe the Orioles use that time to try to figure out when they do bring him up, um, whether it's going to be as a starter or as a reliever. A lot of that might come down to what the Orioles need at that particular moment, but Regardless, this is a guy that I think is going to get a look in Baltimore before too long. And with that, we'll get a better sense of whether or not 
the Orioles see him as a potential back of the rotation piece, or if he's going to be a bullpen arm who, you know, gets by on command, maybe can get you six outs uh, per appearance. Yeah, I think I was going to say, I was going to mention Malone and even Wade LeBlanc. We got a pretty good preview of the kind of pitcher that Wells could be this year. I love the way he works quickly, and he's got a nice mix of pitches, and they're all pretty good. Like, I think he could work out of the bullpen pretty well, just moving fast, mixing up his pitches, get in, get out. Don't let them get too good of a look at you. But I do think he will get his chance next year to make a couple starts at least and show the Orioles what he has. But I do think long-term he's more of like a middle reliever, maybe long guy, spot starter type. Yeah, I'm really interested to see how well he does. Because, you know, like I said, I I wish I, I watched him twice live and both times he got shelled. But it hasn't changed my perception of him. I, I still like well, Alexander Wells. Uh, I think there's something there. But, yeah, he's really going to have to to work hard because that fastball, we, we've seen what can happen to these soft-tossing lefties. Um but uh, the last one, last guy on my list, Zach Lothar, a guy that was just added to the player pool. Um, he's someone who's been ranked pretty closely with Keegan Aiken on our list and really most prospect list. He's got the deception with his delivery from the left side. He hides the ball really well. Uh, there's some serious movement with that fastball. It can run away from righties, uh, run right in on lefties. He's definitely going to be in Norfolk's rotation to start 2021, I think. Uh, but after watching Keegan Aiken, and, and I may be wrong here, I don't know. This is great thing about talking about prospects. It, you, you truly never know with some of these guys. I look at Lowther now and, and immediately see a really good bullpen guy. Um, uh, he's he's going to be in the rotation in Norfolk for sure. It's going to be a dominant rotation. But he's not necessarily a big ground ball guy. But he doesn't give up home runs. He's a huge strikeout guy. 380 career strikeouts and 326 innings. A 1.02 career whip, a 194 average against since the Orioles drafted him. Um, the fastball, again, doesn't have that velocity. I think it actually dipped down last year. He's, again, 87, 88, 89 mile an hour guy, but it moves. And, and that curveball is a great pitch. And I remember, I think it was uh, Adam McIntyre from 2080 Baseball, uh, and he said he was pretty high on, on the Zach Lothar curveball, and it looks like a major league pitch. And when you combine that with the move on his fastball, it's someone that it, it's hard for opposing hitters to barrel him up, uh, which has led to that success in the lower minors. But in the major league level, I think professional hitters are really going to feast on him. Uh, trying to, If you're relying on him to go through a lineup two or three times a game, that's why with Lothar, I really see a really dominant bullpen arm. And that's what I want to see out of him in the major league level. Yeah, yeah I agree. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Okay. I was just going to say, yeah, I pretty much completely agree with what you said, Nick. I think, like Wells, he doesn't throw the hardest, but his pure stuff is definitely at a higher quality than him. But I do think, like you said, he's not a guy that I don't think you can expect him to go two, three times through a rota- uh, lineup and really be able to consistently turn that over. But if you just let him go in there with his variety of pitches and his deception, I think he can definitely do some damage in a coming out in relief. Yeah, I agree. I, I love the movement on the fastball. I think that this is someone you're going to look at as a starter in Norfolk because I, you want to stretch him out as much as you can before you get in the major leagues. He's shown in the minor leagues that he can handle a high workload. And I do think that's important. Going forward, uh, probably bullpen arm, like Nick said. I don't know that the stuff is going to be there for him to get through a lineup three times. 
one thing I would be curious about, though, is that Lothar, to me, almost feels like an ideal opener. Just because he's come, you know, he can go through the starter's routine, but he's got to mix of pitches to be an effective reliever. He's got some good movement on the fastball. He's got some good movement on the curveball. If he's coming out for a one or two inning opener, and you have a couple of pitchers behind him that can go through the order more, maybe that's something the Orioles look at with him in the future. If they find themselves, maybe not necessarily next year, but going into 2022, realizing, okay, we're not going to use a traditional five-starter rotation. Maybe we want that four and five spot or that five spot to be done on an opener basis. Lothar, for me, fits the bill as a guy that really should get a look at that role. I don't hate that idea, but is it just me or did the opener die in 2020? <laughs> I haven't heard anything yeah. about openers this yeah. year for some reason. I haven't watched any much Rays baseball, so I don't know what they're doing. But I have seen Lothar being comp to a Ryan Yarborough from Tampa Bay, which I think does make a lot of sense. Like you said, yeah, you know, when you get the movement on that fastball, is it, the first time I watched him was also when he was in Frederick, and I remember sitting right behind home plate and thinking. Wow, like I, I didn't know he had that in him because uh, I'd never seen him pitch live before. And, and it really does move a lot. And when you have that deception there, it's going to take guys uh, that first time through the order, guys aren't going to be able to catch up with him. Uh, and they're going to be fooled pretty often. And so if you can pitch him one or two innings to start a game or even just one, two innings later in the game, if you bring him behind, you know, maybe a hard throw and righty, uh, bring him behind like a Dean Kramer, uh, I, I think you've got one, two really good quality innings out of him at, at the major league level. But I, I like the opener idea too. But, yeah, I'm wondering if that's still a thing anymore. Yeah, it's a good point. We don't know exactly where trends are going to lead, not just this year but then beyond this year. Um you know, if there are certain changes with the rules, whether that's the roster size or the universal DHs, whatever it might be, if that's going to affect the opener or not. So I'm going to bring up a pitcher who, back in spring training, looks like he could have a shot at the rotation. He was signed to a major league deal um, over the offseason. That's Cole Stewart, who was chosen fourth overall in the 2013 MLB draft by the Twins. Um... Major League career, 4.79 ERA in 62 innings between 2018 and 19, all with Minnesota, 4.79 FIP, um, 3.8 walks per nine innings, 4.9 strikeouts per nine innings. So certainly not big-time numbers from Stewart. The Orioles were able to pick him up in the offseason. As I mentioned, he looked like he was going to be a contender for the rotation back in spring training. Um, Obviously, spring training gets shut down because of the pandemic. The plan starts uh, to have a season in July, and then over the summer, Stewart opted out because of COVID-19 concerns. Um, I'll start with you, Nick. Do you see him as a potential rotation piece in 2021, or do you think the Orioles give him another look? Uh, I mean, he's definitely going to get a look. I think the Orioles really like him. They're going to have a pretty deep pool of pitchers to look at next year and evaluate in spring training. And I think Stewart will be in that mix. Like you said, the, the MLB numbers aren't very impressive. Uh, his spring training numbers with the Orioles weren't very impressive either. Uh, but Brandon Hyde has said that the organization really likes his arm and they believe in his stuff that's good enough to be a starter in the big leagues. So we'll see. He was drafted fourth overall a couple years ago. So obviously he's shown in the past that he can be a high-quality pitcher. But you know, without really diving into like his repertoire, his mechanics, uh, I think just speaking broadly, we've seen what Carson Fulmer has done, 
Carson Palmer, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, we've seen what he's been able to do in just those few outings with the Orioles. Uh, we've seen Jorge Lopez. That last outing was really good from Lopez. Um, and he can give you a few good innings. We've seen, I know we kind of beat up Tom Eshelman on here a few times, but he's actually been quietly having a pretty good season. Um, to see what those guys can do this year and just the prog- overall progression the pitching staff has made this year, um, I'm not counting anyone out as being a contributor for this team. And it, it feels weird to say that, that Baltimore's quickly turned around their reputation as kind of a deathbed for pitchers. But when you're a former fourth overall pick, he's only going to be 26 next year, so he's still young-ish. Um, you know, the Orioles are going to need somebody behind John Means, Kramer, Aiken, Cobb. They're going to need a fifth starter. Who is that going to be? We have no idea, uh, but Cole Stewart is definitely in the mix there, and I like the odds. We'll see what it looks like in spring training, though. To be honest, I was telling Nick before we started recording, I completely forgot that Cole Stewart existed, let alone opted out of the season. But um, I really I really would hate to see a guy lose his job because he opted out of a season. Clearly, don't want that to happen, but I just think it might have been – Bad timing on his part with everything going on because he would have got a chance this season to show the Orioles what he has. And instead, the Orioles have acquired Jorge Lopez, the guy who's kind of impressed so far, and Carson, former. Um, and who knows what they're going to do in the offseason between guys they add if they trade Renato uh, uh, Nunez for you know a capable arm or two. It's just impossible to predict. I do hope he gets a chance to at least come in spring training, whether it's on a new minor league deal or, you know, staying on the 40 man roster. I do hope he gets an opportunity to at least win that job next year, but I'm just not so sure with the depth that all of a sudden we've built out of nowhere, if that's going to happen or not. Yeah, that that does make it a little bit challenging. Yeah. If Stuart had gotten hurt, if he had hurt his shoulder or he'd hurt his elbow, I think the Orioles would be more inclined to move on. I still feel like it's worth taking a look because they obviously felt like it was worthwhile to give him a major league contract, to give him an extended shot in spring training to, at the very least, claim a spot on the opening day roster, maybe even be a starter. And for as much depth as the Orioles have, that number five rotation spot going into 2021, it's really going to be an open question. And who knows, depending on what moves they make over the offseason, uh, there could be more than one rotation spot in play. So I would certainly hope that Stewart gets an extended look. I'm not confident that he's the number five starter, but I think if nothing else, the Orioles should make him one of the pitchers that's in play to either pitch it out of the back of the rotation or if they do need bullpen help in a long relief role, give him a shot. Yeah, and another name that just popped in my head that I, I keep forgetting about too is someone else that's going to be in the mix is Kevin Smith. And that trade where he completely fleeced the Mets uh, for Miguel Castro, uh, he's going to be in that mix too. So there's there's a lot of guys you know Michael is going to bring in at least one, if not two, uh, starters, guys that come in and throw spring training, even if it's just spring training innings, uh, but then you never know if they hit or not. Um, so yeah, it's, it's going to be a tough competition in spring training, but he's got an opportunity, opportunity like the rest of them. And like I said, at this point, I'm not counting anybody out because the Orioles are, they're doing something down there and it's, and it's working. Yeah. Agreed. Um, here's someone I wanted to bring up that has kind of been brought up as part of the Orioles future for a while, but it's always been, I think kind of assumed to be in a backup role. And that's Austin wins who we have not seen all year. And the Orioles 
have really settled in with the catching tandem of Pedro Severino and Francisco, followed by a guy with more extensive major league time in Brian Holiday. They've had the luxury to do that because of the 28-man roster, which we don't know that they're going to have in 2021. If it is back to 26 players, you're probably looking at two catchers. And at that point, unless someone is traded, wins is probably not one of those catchers. But I'll start with you, Bob. Do you think that he has a role in the major leagues again, or do you think that maybe his role with the organization is kind of slipping away? I think it might be both. I think he might have played his last game with the Orioles, but I think he's a guy that can bounce around in the upper minor leagues between organizations and potentially be a backup somewhere eventually. I just don't think it's going to be with this team, especially we are catching tandem right now between Cisco and Severino is great. Obviously, we have Adley Rutschman banging on the door. I don't know if you guys saw the MLB Pipeline did an article where they did the best performers at each team's facility, and they noted that Adley Rutschman is living up to all his his hype down there right now. So that's great to see. Maybe he'll be up by the end of next year. And honestly, I'd rather see them keep Holiday around if they're going to trade Severino or Cisco for next year. He seems like a solid guy. He can play first base. He can pitch a little uh, in a blowout. Or even Taylor Davis I'd be more interested in seeing than Austin wins. I just feel like I've never been super impressed when we have seen him. And the fact that they haven't brought him up this year at all tells me that they're not exactly the most fond of him, at least as they were before when Buck Schulter was around. Yeah, I mean, he's a good guy from what I've read, from what I heard. I've heard him on other podcasts before. I remember actually when Adam Pohl uh, had a podcast, I think Dan Con- it was Dan Connolly when he was with BaltimoreBaseball.com, and uh, Adam Pohl had a minor league segment there, a minor league show that he would do there. And I, I do remember an interview he did, I believe it was with Austin Wins, and he talked about his experience uh, playing winter ball uh, in down in uh, Central America and just how unbelievable it was. And, you know, those kind of interviews, those kind of stories, you get to see the personality of Austin Wins, and that's, I think, the most positive thing I have to say about him. I mean, he obviously provides value for this organization. He's been around for so long, so he's doing something right down in the minor leagues. Uh, I know we're talking about like a third, fourth-string catcher here, but yeah, I, you, as an organization, you need to have 8, 9, 10, 12 catchers because who – you have working with your minor league arms and those young arms is really important. Uh, you want somebody that's solid behind the plate. You want somebody that you can trust back there. Even if it's the backup in Delmarva, uh, you want someone that is going to make your pitchers better because they're going to see a lot of time. Um, if we're talking about a, a backup to the backup at this point, which is what Austin wins is, I really like Martin Cervenka. I believe he's still in the organization. Um, he's going to be 28, and there's really not – I mean, he is what he is at this point. But for an emergency guy, I think that's just another great story. He could be the first player in the major leagues born in the Czech Republic. Uh, so, again, something else to cheer for there. Um, he can hit a little bit. Uh, he hit pretty well in Bowie, but not so much in Norfolk. But um, – an interesting story there, nonetheless. But yeah, I think when you've got Rutschman, you've got Cisco, who I th- I think is I I don't know. That was one that I feel like we should have brought up maybe in a future episode because I don't know how I feel about Cisco yet. Uh, but you got Rutschman there, and you still got my guy Maverick Hanley, who I think a lot of people are going to know that name in the coming years. I really like him being the backup to Rutschman down the road, uh, strictly for his defensive purposes, but. For Austin wins, yeah, I think we've probably seen him for the last time in an Orioles uniform. But he's definitely a guy that's going to have a long, long professional career. It's nowhere near over yet for him. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, he's going to be 30 in December, but he does have major league time, uh, 2018 and 2019 with the Orioles. I think at one point there was maybe a little bit of hope that Wins could be the glove first backup to Chance Cisco. Obviously, that didn't really materialize. Um, if Severino is around next year, I don't see a path for Austin Wins in the major leagues. And as Bob said, even if Severino is traded, then that might just mean that Brian Holiday is back as your backup catcher, or that the Orioles go out and get a Brian Holiday type, someone's more major league experience, knowing that they're going to have a lot of young pitchers debut next year. So the question at that point becomes, do you leave wins in Norfolk, have him work with the pitchers that are there, and then when Rutzman does get to AAA, which I expect is going to happen sometime in 2021, if not right away, then probably within the first few months of the season, um, wins basically becomes his backup, maybe helps him. If you're going to keep him in the organization, my guess right now is that's more likely his role than as backup catcher on the opening day roster next year, unless the Orioles either do trade Severino and decide to go in that direction or they have a couple of injuries. Yeah, if you're talking about a Norfolk rotation of probably D.L. Hall, Michael Bauman, Zach Lauter, Alex Wells, you're going to want someone reliable behind the plate. And, I mean, wins can be that guy. Uh, I think the only other catcher really in the upper minors is Brett Cumberland, and he's not someone who I want catching D.L. Hall. Um, he, he's not a, a catcher by any means, although the man can get on base like no one else. But, yeah, uh, maybe he comes back on a minor league deal, and, and if that's your value, then that's tremendous value if you're helping those guys in Norfolk progress. So the last player that I'm going to bring up was the Orioles Rule 5 pick uh, before the 2019 season. Pretty much was the everyday shortstop in 2019, and that's Richie Martin. Uh, he seated, he was expected to cede that role to Jose Iglesias this year. It looks like he would go down to Norfolk before the pandemic led to spring training getting shut down. Uh, but then he hurt his wrist, um, I believe it was either before summer camp or early in summer camp, and ended up missing this shortened 2020 season. Uh, do you think that Martin has some sort of role with the Orioles next year? I I know there was a lot of jokes when uh, he got hurt. There was an article, I think it was Dan Connolly again, who said how this could be a big blow to the Orioles season, and everyone thought, what a joke that is. Well, it turns out it's certainly possible that it, he could have played a role this season with Iglesias being banged up, going on the IL for a little bit. And he certainly could not be worse than Andrew Velasquez, at least at the plate, even as poor as he did last season. But I think I remember like pretty solid reports that he was making improvements uh, over the offseason coming into this year. And he was actually showing the Orioles a little bit more than he did last year. And it it is unfortunate that he got hurt. I I definitely think his role with the team is not over. He'll certainly make an appearance next year, whether it's on the bench or starting in a pinch when you need him with an IL stint or something like that. But he's got solid defense. He has a year of experience under his belt now. And, yeah, anyone's better than Andrew Velasquez on this team. Get him get him out of here. I mean, I like the guy. He's fast. But I don't know. It's frustrating to watch sometimes. Yeah, you're seeing just how valuable Richie Barton could have been. I mean, even late in games now, you're seeing Iglesias being taken out of games and replaced at shortstop just to protect him from that nagging injury. But, I mean – 
And you got Pat Vileka. I know Baseball Savant just put out their infield outs above average numbers, and Pat Vileka is second worst in the major leagues at negative four. Uh, he, he shouldn't be playing shortstop for any major league baseball team. Although the bat has been very impressive, I will give him that. After a WRC plus of nine and 34 the last two seasons, um, 100 being league average, it's 102 right now. So that's great to see, but the shortstop glove is just horrible. Um, yeah, I don't know if Martin would have added any wins, obviously, but when you have Aiken and Kramer and these young, vulnerable pitchers in your starting rotation and in the bullpen, you want more reliable defense behind them. Richie Martin would have given you that. I'm interested to see where he starts next year. Uh, you know, the Orioles really kind of babied him a little bit at the end of last year, but we saw the numbers go up. And I think, if anything, that boosted his confidence, uh, which is great. Um, so if I think maybe he starts next year in AAA as depth. I think the Orioles maybe go out and sign another veteran free agent shortstop. Uh, but if he can begin at AAA, like I mentioned earlier, if you've got a, if you've got Vavra and Richie Martin and Tyler Nevin and Mason McCoy and Ryland Bannon as your infield, it's a lot better than what the Norfolk infield usually is when like Zach Vinci and Jace Peterson and Christopher Bostics. Like you've got depth there, and so when injuries do happen over hopefully what it's 162 game season next year you can pull up Richie Martin uh, to be your backup um, and to fill in that role. I really like him. I think he still has a role somewhere, and I want to see him develop a little bit more. Um, it's a shame he missed all this year, but I think because he missed all the year that you're definitely going to see him in the minor leagues to start next year and see what he can do from there. Yeah, I agree. I think that he would have been helpful this year because I don't like the drop-off the Orioles have when Jose Iglesias is not in the lineup, or at least not at shortstop. Because now you go from a guy who's a really good defensive shortstop to either Andrew Velasquez, where you have to sacrifice a lot of offense if you're putting Andrew Velasquez at shortstop, or Pat Vileka, who, as Nick said, he's been a nice story with the bat this year, but defensively does not belong at shortstop. Um, Iglesias, I expect to be back next year, and I expect that he will be the shortstop on opening day. That might make the Orioles inclined to put Martin down at Norfolk, knowing he can get regular at-bats there. But if they don't go as Martin as their reserve option on the opening day roster, they need to at least find a shortstop who gives you more value defensively, or even a utility player who plays shortstop better than Pat Vileka, so that when you have Jose Iglesias out of the lineup, you're not sacrificing a lot on defense. Yeah, that's a good point. We definitely have made you either had to flip a coin make a choice between all bat no glove or all glove no bat this year yeah and sir the last thing you want is these guys like Aiken and Kramer throwing extra especially Aiken throwing extra pitches when they don't have to and, and that's what's happening so we definitely could have used them this year yeah and if some of the pitchers we mentioned before like Zimmerman Wells Lothar meets the majors next year it's gonna be the same problem you don't want them throwing more pitches than they have to and the defense is going to be absolutely key there. And I'm really curious to see over the offseason if the Orioles try to address that, particularly in their infield. Yep. So as we record this, um, I mentioned earlier in the show, the Orioles are playing the Braves right now. We're in really the final games of the season. The season will end um, one week from Sunday, so that will be September 27th when the Orioles square off against the Blue Jays in Buffalo. Uh, when we recorded our last show, it seemed like the Orioles still had a shot at the playoffs. The series in New York 
probably took the momentum away from that. Uh, as I'm speaking, the Orioles are 21-27. and 27. Uh, Probably not going to playoffs this year, but still have exceeded a lot of expectations. With that in mind, I'll start with you, Bob. How do you want to see the Orioles uh, end their season? I just want to continue to watch these young guys. The team has gotten younger and more entertaining to watch as the season has gone on. I think in this series versus Atlanta with Austin Hayes back in the lineup, you got Austin Hayes in left, Mullins in center, a resurgent DJ Stewart in right, uh, Ryan Mackassel at first base, DH, where we all kind of knew he was going to end up eventually. Um, even Chancisco, he's at least shown some potential this year. And with the pitchers coming up, I just want to see Bruce Zimmerman make his debut. I just want to see more of these guys get a chance to gel a little bit heading into next year when I think maybe we could surprise some people and finish around 500. But I just want to be competitive. You know, wins and losses at this point don't matter. We're out of the race, and we're also out of the race for the number one pick. So just be competitive. I want to see Ryan Madcastle continue to do good at the plate. I want to see him walk a couple more times. and. It's just been entertaining. I just want to continue to be entertained, basically. Being greedy with the Mountcastle walks. Guys are walking <laughs> triple as my early grade. No, but yeah, that's the, been the exciting part. Like they, they blew out the Braves the other night. Last night was not as good. And last night, speaking of game two, by the time you hear this, the game three will probably be over. But when they were shut out the other night against Atlanta, that was a little tougher to watch. But you still saw Austin Hayes make some great plays out there. He's healthy. Ryan Mountcastle is not going to cover off the ball still. Uh, his on-base percentage is well above 400 at this point, and he's 22, 23 games into his career, uh, which is great to see. Um, Cedric Mullins might be one of the coolest stories of the 2020 season, in my opinion. He was a guy I think pretty much everyone had written off, and here he is uh, making a case for a rush spot in 2021. You've got five against the Rays. Like you mentioned, the Red Sox, the Blue Jays. So you've got AL East teams coming up. I want to see them competitive as well. Stay in these games. No more blowouts. Uh, continue to develop. Continue to show these teams that they're not just going to walk all over you. Uh, this is a young and inexperienced team, but it's a quality team that I, I think no one expected to perform this well this year, yet here they are. Uh, like you mentioned, Bob, the, the first pick, you forget about the Kumar Rocker slogans. It's gone. I'm fine with that, to be totally honest. I don't care about the top draft pick anymore. We can finish with 15th or 16th pick. We don't have the, the draft is going to work next year, but I don't care if we're in the middle of the first round. If Mountcastle, Aiken, Kramer, Stewart, Mullins, and Hayes, and Cisco and all these guys are performing well, that's that's going to make our team better next year. That's going to make this team better in 2022, 2023, immediately. Not waiting for a number one pick in Kumar Rocker who could blow his arm out in his first start and never pitch for us. Uh, so just stay competitive these last few games and let's end the season on a high note. Yeah, well I agree. I, I really want to see not just, you know, Mountcastle continue what he's done. Um, Cedric Mullins and DJ Stewart, the success stories they have been. I want to see Keegan Aker and Dean Kramer end the year strong. I want to see Austin Hayes make the most of a little bit of time he has uh, before the season ends. So really any good progress that we see from this team, win or lose, uh, I'll take away as a success story. Yeah, and speaking of that, I just pulled up the game since we're recording, and it looks like they're about to start the top of the third, and Keegan Aiken is uh, through two innings, one hit, no runs, one walk, five strikeouts against the Atlanta Braves, which is an unbelievable lineup. So I think uh, 
That start against the Yankees was just a fluke. I'll blame it on Pat Vileka or whoever was at shortstop. We'll say Pat Vileka's fault. Um, yeah, why not? He won't be around next year, maybe. So, Keegan Aiken, man, that's that's impressive. Hopefully, we don't jinx that there. Hey, Nick, you called that. You said he could blow up in any moment. He's going to have one really bad start. He go ahead. He he definitely did that. But uh, it's nice to see him bounce back against an elite lineup. Maybe it won't last, but it's a good start for sure. Yeah, and what Aiken's able to do in this start, it's going to tell us a lot about him going forward. That was a tough outing in New York, um, but if he's able to bounce back from that, that's a really good sign for a young pitcher. And by the way, Dean Kramer's second straight start against the Yankees looked very good on Sunday. Unfortunately, the Orioles could not pick up the win, but I think, again, we saw what what made Kramer successful in that first start. Attack the zone. Um, Yeah, he had three walks again, I believe. But I, long term, I don't think the walks are going to be a concern. I think Avenza is going to iron itself out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, second time in a row, the only team he's faced is the Yankees, a team who is notorious for their, you know, their eye at the plate, their plate discipline. And he still had seven more strikeouts. He maybe wasn't quite as sharp as the first time, but that's to be expected when you're facing the same good offense two times in a row but the fact that his his strikeouts strikeouts are still there and he continues to just bite down and and compete is a very good sign yeah i did make a note though first pitch strikes uh 24 times 57 percent of the batters he faced he went 1-0 to start the count uh so falling behind hitters but to fall behind more than half of the Yankees hitters, even without Judge and Stanton, Luke Voigt is having a possible MVP year. Uh, Clint Frazier is now a legitimate major leaguer. Uh, it's still a really good lineup. DJ LeMayhew, this is a really solid lineup, and he pitched very well. He gets an A-plus for taking on the Yankees in your first two career starts in the same week over the span of a couple of days and to have that success. Um you know, and it's meaningful games. He took the mound at Yankee Stadium against the Yankees in a game that could have meant something uh, for this ball club and, and pitched very well. So I think that means a lot. Um, he's got Tampa Bay next. That's going to also tell us even more. I think uh, I like Tampa Bay's lineup up and down. It's tough. It's going to be a hard game. Uh, if he pitches well, I think you enter 2020, 2021 feeling pretty good about him in your rotation. Yeah, agreed. And he pits well enough on Saturday, so correct myself there. He pits on Saturday against the Yankees, not Sunday. Five innings, one run, four hits, three walks, seven strikeouts. That's good enough generally to get the win. But the Orioles' bats really went cold in that series, so they ended up losing 2-1 to one in extra innings. And as Nick said, if the Orioles had pulled that one out, that could have been a really important win. But nevertheless, Kramer had the start you really wanted him to have. He went out and for the second time in a row, uh, kept the Yankees off balance. You know, even if the walks were a little high, Held on one run on four hits. Picked up seven strikeouts. Really good results there. For sure. So, um, as I said, we're heading down towards the final stretch run of the season here. We will be back on the air next week for what will likely be our last show before the regular season ends. Um, And we'll see what happens between now and then if Bruce Zimmerman does pits on Thursday. Uh, His debut will likely be a focus on our next show along with some other things that we have in the works. So before we sign off, Bob, uh, any final thoughts? Yeah, actually, I was really happy to see John Means have a great week, bounce back from his struggles this year. I think he looked really improved. His velocity came down a bit, but I think it's intentional. I think his command was a lot better, and I think he's 
he's just trying to figure out he got in his routine he's just trying to figure out you know what did he do right last year that he can get back to and also add on the improvements that he made over the offseason I just think a bit of a lost year but I'd love to see him continue to finish on a high note yeah that's that's another amazing story to see him in the season strong um yeah I think I want to point out an article here that I found right before we started recording, actually, from uh, Eric Garfield. Uh, he wrote an article for PressBoxOnline.com. That's up now. We retweeted it on our uh, Twitter account, at BSL on the Verge. Uh, I retweeted it there. I definitely encourage you guys to check it out. It, he did an interview with uh, Gunnar Henderson, someone all of us are excited to see next year. Um, and there's a note in here, though, it's not about Gunnar Henderson. It's a great piece about Gunnar but there's another name in this article where he says, uh, the pitcher most responsible, I'm quoting uh, Eric here in his article, the pitcher most responsible for giving Henderson some trouble and helping him learn down at Bowie is veteran minor league right-hander Eric Hanhold. Hanhold starts at 96 miles an hour, Henderson says. He's got pretty good slider, but the change is his best because it's 90-92 and it's just hard to pick up. I think we've been sleeping on Eric Hanhold because Ryan Mountcastle and now Gunnar Henderson are crediting Hanhold for making them better hitters. Maybe uh, we've been talking about the wrong guys this whole time. So. Maybe he no longer needs his handheld. I, no, I think uh, Eric Hanhold is going to be our secret weapon, not so secret weapon anymore, of 2021. So watch out for that. Yes, look forward to the Eric Hanhold on the verge special as soon as we can get that produced. Um, I read that article as well, Nick. Um, you can retweet that, and or you can see it on at BSL on the Verge. We retweeted that, um, and you can continue to follow us there for live tweets, previews of the shows when they come along, uh, and continue to check out coverage on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Uh, you'll see the latest there on the Orioles, the Ravens. Um, Bob's three up, three down column went up on Monday. He does that every week. Uh, Nick, do you have a piece uh, in the works for the next couple weeks? I will have something up before the end of the week. I think I'm going to take a look at kind of what we talked about today, but some of the prospects who I think two or three guys that are going to make a lot of noise next year. So a quick preview of some prospects to get excited for next year. Keep an eye out for that. Um, So for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this has been Zach Spedden. Thank you for listening to On the Birds. We'll see you next week. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.